This week's episode is brought to you by Henry and Lafitte Mercantile, garments made in America and inspired by the happiest place on earth. Go to henryandlafitte.com, use the promo code CADETS, and get 10% off any order of at least 50 bucks. That's henryandlafitte.com. Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I just wanted to remind you guys that now's the time that you should be calling into the Communicore Weekly goat line and, uh, you know, leaving us those voicemails to play on the final episode. Okay, four, um, because we're coming two, down to four, the wire. seven, eight, You're doing math five, four. Oh, you told me to call, didn't you? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, not you particularly, but the phone oh, number oh, is... Oh. Oh. 424-785-4628. And again, if you're driving and you don't want to write it down right now, it is on our website on the right-hand side when you go to it. But it's 424-785-4628. Leave some voicemails, and we'll play them on the, on the final episode. It'll be good to hear from you guys or, and stuff. It's time for the story. As we covered in last episode, uh, part one of our look at Cypress Gardens, Dick Pope and his wife, Julie, were tireless in their promotion and work on the gardens. And through most of the first 40 years, now remember it opened in 1935, Cypress Gardens was really just that, a botanical garden. Uh, there were skiing shows, uh, the Southern Bells were there, and you know the addition of the key uh, photographic areas, like the wedding gazebo. But uh, most of the activity that centered on the gardens in the 1940s and 50s was on uh, promotion and PR. And as we mentioned in part one, Pope hired Robert and Helen Dahlgren to help lay out the garden so that every angle would offer wonderful photos. And the Dahlgrens would offer hand-colored photographs for sale during the early years. And Pope would also take and send out an amazing number of shots for PR use. And in 1938, electric boats started taking visitors on tours of the gardens throughout the different canals. In 1948, a plaque was unveiled by Millard Caldwell, the governor of Florida, that thanked the popes for their, quote, untiring efforts for the upbuilding of the city of Winter Haven and beautiful Cypress Gardens, end quote. The gardens would offer several festivals and other events, like offering artists the opportunity to paint scenes. They also held a mums festival and promoted a white Christmas featuring uh, azaleas and white poinsettias. And in the mid-1980s, it was estimated that more than 500 photos a day were taken of the Southern Bells. Also, Kodak sold more film there than any other Florida attraction. But, but we're not sure of the time period for this quote, and uh, we can only imagine that this was during a time before Walt Disney World or when Kodak was not a sponsor of Disney. One of the iconic features of the gardens was the 100-foot pool that was built for the 1953 Esther Williams film, Easy to Love. 
and it's shaped like the state of Florida, and originally, the tile work spelled out, Happy Swimming Esther Williams. At one point, it was removed, and a concrete walkway was built around the pool. In 1956, the 10 Tropical Isles of Movie Land were built. The islands were created from the Dredge Lake bottom, and several peninsulas were created. And each of the peninsulas uh, were cut into separate islands, and large palm trees were planted. Uh, each island was landscaped in a unique way, and they were used heavily as backdrops for advertising, movies, television, and more. And in 1960, the Aquarama Pool was built for an Esther Williams television special. It was a 238,000-gallon pool that offered an underground chamber with windows for still in motion photography or motion pictures. And the annual amateur athletic union, and that should be uh, familiar to most Walt Disney World fans, they held the first computerized swim meet there in 1969 at the pool. And no, the computers weren't swimming. The computers were keeping the time and the score. And wearing tennis shoes. That's yes, the they were. factor Ooh. as well. Um, apparently the results were printed within minutes, which was almost unheard of at the time. In 1972, the Cypress Gardens Clubhouse was demolished. It was one of the original buildings on the property and served as a gift shop, a water skier's dressing room, administrative offices, and the park entrance. Um, a new entrance building was built on the same spot and during the same period. Uh, a 1,500 lakeside stadium was built that added uh, a bunch of seats to the existing 900 seats. And in the 1970s, a, a small zoo and several kiddie rides were added. And there was also the uh, Southern Crossroads Shopping and Dining Area. And in 1983, the Island in the Sky rotating platform was added, which offered stunning views of the gardens and neighboring areas. And it rose 150 feet. 153 feet in the air. and uh, But by the early 1980s, the Popes retired and their son Dick Jr. took over. Then, in 1985, a series of changes and new owners would have drastic effects on the park. In 1985, Harcourt Brace Jovanovich, a publisher mostly known for textbooks, brought, uh, they, he actually bought Cypress Gardens. Uh, they also purchased SeaWorld Circus World, which would briefly become Boardwalk and Baseball, and the Stars Hall of Fame. HBJ did some capital improvements to the park, which included some shops and restaurants, but they ended up selling all four parks to Bush, and, uh, Bush Entertainment Co Corporation in 1989. Uh, Bush invested heavily and added new attractions, new shows, festivals, and shops. But in 1995, Bush sold the park to a group of the park managers led by Bill Reynolds. And there were a lot of additions, and the park did fare fairly well uh, until the September 11th attacks of 2001. And at that point, there was a biblical garden that featured plants mentioned in the Bible, an ice show called Moscow on Ice weird, and the Cypress Roots Museum, which celebrated water skiing and Florida fun. Wings of Wonder was added in 1993. Uh, it was a Victorian-style building like the Crystal Palace at the Magic Kingdom, and it was kept at a constant 80 degrees with a 70% humidity level. In addition to the waterfall and the flowing plants, there were over 1,000 free-flying butterflies, with almost 400 being born each week. There was also a 40,000-square-foot greenhouse and a 7-acre plant nursery that supplied plants for the gardens. 
1999, a paddlewheel boat was added that offered a romantic brunch and dinner cruises. And as mentioned earlier, the September 11th attacks did a lot of harm to tourism and Cypress Gardens. The park officially closed on Sunday, April 13th, 2003. And, and from here, a lot happens in a very short period of time. Adventure Parks Group bought the property on February 22nd, 2004. But Polk County bought the original 30 acres of the gardens. And also the Trust for Public Land, which sort of owned the park before Adventure Parks bought it for a short period, sold a conservation easement to the state of Florida. Starting in 2004, six roller coasters were added to the property, along with six flat rides. One of the coasters was named the Triple Hurricane from the three hurricanes that hit the park during the 2004 season, Charlie, Francis, and uh, Janine. The hurricanes delayed the opening of the newly crowned Cypress Gardens Adventure Park to November 2004. The Splash Island Water Park was opened in 2005. But the estimated $25 million in damages from the three hurricanes of 2004 was too much for the park to recover from. An Adventures Park Group filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in September of 2006. And in 2007, Land South Adventures purchased Cypress Gardens at an auction for a mere $16.9 million. A temporary closure of the park was announced on November 17, 2008. So a few months later, on March 28, 2009, Cypress Gardens was reopened and the Splash Island Water Park was expanded. Sadly, most of the rides were either removed or not operating. Also, most of the animals from the zoo were relocated. And on September 23, 2009, the park was closed again. Land South Holdings stated that um, all avenues to keep the park open had been exposed and there was, they just couldn't find a way to keep the park running in its traditional form. As many of you know, that was not the end of Cypress Gardens. Merlin Entertainment bought the property in January 2012 with the intent of turning it into the site of the fifth Legoland. Legoland Florida officially opened on October 15, uh, 2011. Legoland Florida has 11 areas, including Cypress Gardens, the original gardens from the park, which are still owned by Polk County. So yeah, you can still visit the original Cypress Gardens from all those years ago. Just have to go as part of Legoland, which is okay. You know, they got yeah, some nothing on, wrong with that. Yeah, iconic brick Southern Bells as well. But you know, uh, like we mentioned at the end of last episode, if you've had any experience with the classic Cypress Gardens or any of the changes that happened in the eighties of the nineties, eighties or the nineties, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Go Line. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it, your memories, any anecdotes you've got. And again, that number is 424-785-4628. He's a nerd, he's a, nerd. He's a, geek. He's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. Ah. It's George's Book of the Week. So the new Black Widow book, Red Vengeance, by Margaret Stoll, is this week's Book of the Week. And it continues the exciting series that takes us deeper into the Black Widow's world and her origins. And the story goes deeper into the relationship between Natasha, you know, the Black Widow, and Ava, the young girl that Natasha takes under her wing in the first novel, which was Forever Red, and 
I reviewed it before and love that book as well. So and just to bring everybody up to speed, in the first book, we get to meet Natasha and Ava, and they share a very special connection that sort of ties into some research that Tony Stark is doing. And I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but if you haven't read the first book, you need to stop the review and go read it and then come back, because we'll wait, right? Yeah, we're waiting. Well, we wait. We'll just wait till they pause and unpause it. Anyway, mm-hmm. so this book is extremely fast-paced and very well-written. Uh, the author has a great command of fight scenes, really does a good job with fight scenes, as well as the different characters and their dialogue. And I really felt like I was watching an Avengers movie with all the Avengers-type action and intrigue that we would expect from one of their films. And, you know, whenever Tony Stark or Agent Coulson Coulson was involved with any dialogue, I really felt like I was watching one of the films. Uh, There are a few moments that that might seem a little confusing in the book because they they talk about this, you know, special connection between the two characters. Um, But it's sort of uh, fleshed out in the first book and it's explained in greater detail in Red Vengeance. You still, I just found myself looking online to sort of refresh my memory of Forever Red, the first one. And it's not a bad thing. It just shows how engaging the book is and that I really wanted to stay on top of what was happening. So the book does take us to several locations all over the world and really feels like an Avengers movie. They put us into situations with the main characters, and I wasn't sure how Ava and Natasha were going to get out alive, which really you know, led to a lot of action and a lot of suspense, a lot of drama. And the book is a very... Uh, the book is an excellent read, and I highly recommend it. But, you know, a- as with Forever Red, the second book, this one, uh, takes us deeper into Natasha's past and her origins with the Red Room, which is sort of, we get some ideas of what that is from the uh, Avengers films, like uh, Age of Ultron. And uh, We just don't have enough Black Widow in our lives. We really, really don't. We need more. So I'm really glad this book is here. Um, It's it's a great read. It's going to keep you up late at night, trying to get to the next chapter. And, you know, fans of the Black Widow are really going to love it. And I think Avengers fans are going to enjoy it a lot as well. So this week's book is Red Vengeance by Margaret Stoll. What we liked, what we didn't like, he's in the booze. 60 Second Review! For this week's 60 Second Review, we're looking at the 25th anniversary release on Blu-ray of the wonderful Disney classic, Beauty and the Beast. It's a tale as old as time, isn't that correct? It is. It's old as a rhyme. Exactly. No, it smells like a rhyme? I don't know. Anyway, I have this we're feeling that this is probably the third time we've reviewed this movie in some form on the show. I think so. I know it's the second Blu-ray copy we've received. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the movie's wonderful, it's awesome, buy it just because it's on Blu-ray, if you don't already have it, it's beautiful, it sounds great, but so let's talk about, talk about the features. extras, yeah, the special okay. features. <laughs> Alright, so uh, the, the first one that is new to the disc was called Always Bell, and it's Paige O'Hara discussing, you know, playing Bell and the, her life yeah. leading up to it, and what she's been doing after that when she moved to uh, New York and been on Broadway, and it, it's just interesting to hear kind of her life story, I guess, and what she's been up to since then and how the movie has impacted yeah. and changed her entire life. Yeah, how she sort of led up to getting the film, her career on Broadway, 
how she's actually a painter. I had no idea. Which was fascinating. And, yeah, and she currently lives in Las Vegas. Not that we're stalking her. No, not it at all. It said so in the, in, the, in the special. But it was a short, you know, 10, 15-minute long special. Really cute, really charming. A few behind-the-scenes moments. She talks about uh, working with uh, Howard Ashman, a little emotional, a little teary. Uh, mm-hmm. Well worth it. I thought it was a very nice addition yeah, to yeah. the disc. Um, and then there was Menken and Friends, which was all friends of Alan Menken. Uh, they gather to discuss the film. It, yeah, it sounded like it should have been a superhero show. Almost, kind of. And Menken it kind of was friends. with the with the cast that they oh, have. Like gosh. they had Lynn Manuel Miranda, you know, Hamilton. Yes. yes. Um, so it was cool to have them talk about the film, talk about him, and sing the songs. It was a nice. I mean, granted, it was a fluff piece, but it was a really good fluff piece. I gotta say. Yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, you had Stephen Schwartz. You had the. Uh, the the two the married couple that's responsible for all the frozen songs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, but it was just fantastic to see all them together they all nerded out they geeked out about being there with Mankin and they sang they talked about how important that work was and how amazing the soundtrack or the score for Beauty and the Beast was and how revolutionary it was exactly and there were some cool things I didn't even think about yeah you know yeah I was kind of surprised it was kind of neat now did you did you did you enjoy the twenty five facts about the movie no. Good, me neither. <laughs> I think the, every time they have something like this on one of these discs, I think we always watch it with disdain. And at the end of it, we're like, ugh, why? Yeah. Why I'm like, I here? don't know who these Disney Channel stars are. And it was so, it, it felt so clickbaity that it I was just like a BuzzFeed it. article, but like an annoying one in a way. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. whatever. Now, we'll skip that one. Exactly. Now, I did not watch the sneak peek at the live action film because I'm trying to stay away from any spoilers. I wanted to be surprised. Well, that's not, so, that's not a but bad it's thing. on there. It is on there. It's on um, there. There was it's also a there. look. Uh, like, it was kind of a historical feature about Walt's travels oh, to Europe. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was the, it was 1040, a story 1047. Yeah. Because that was yeah, the yeah. story number that was assigned to it. And yeah, a real archival look at how Beauty and the Beast had, was one of the stories he brought back from Europe. And they talked about making it, but it's sort of. Uh, died like many other projects died and it's interesting how they only had one connection that they found back to walt's days to create this film but interesting nonetheless it was very interesting yeah it was interesting it was interesting Um, what else was on that disc oh there was a look at the recording sessions yeah and that was neat because it sort of had the uh, videotapes Mm -hmm. uh and it showed them side by side with the voices so you could see the actors doing that i think they said it was one of the first times they had recorded people to use their mannerisms, which I, was I neat. I almost wanted to watch the movie with that yes. as like a lower portion of the film. Oh, the that screen. would be fantastic. That would have been really cool, I think. That would have been fantastic. And, you know, of course, there's the audio commentary, and then there's some sing-alongs, which are of great. Course. Of course. Which were fantastic. So, all in all, the movie on Blu-ray looks and sounds wonderful. If you don't own, own it on Blu-ray, you need to buy a copy. Uh, the features were great, but nothing spectacular. They were good. I'm glad they yeah, were new. Yeah. They were new. Um, all, the, all the classic features there also, they're just not on the oh, disc. Yeah. You have to get them digitally, which yes. I think is weird because a Blu-ray disc has a lot of space on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, you can still access the special features. It's, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. I think they're, they're pushing that Disney movies anywhere. Type yes, thing. yes, they are. Yes, they so, are. So I guess overall, it's a great film. Definitely buy it if you don't have a copy. Uh, if you do have a copy already, you probably don't need to pick this one up. Yeah, borrow it from a friend. Yeah, borrow, you know, we've got two copies. Yeah, why not? Yeah, just come on by and bring us some food, maybe? Okay, I'm down for that. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. 
Disneyland Paris opened in 1992, the height of the Saturday morning cartoon craze and also the Disney afternoon. Um, so in the Disney Village in uh, Disneyland Paris, there is a Disney store. And in the center room, Mickey is piloting this gigantic spaceship with some smaller ships flying all around him. So most of the char characters flying those smaller ships are the ones we know we love, you know, Minnie, uh, Donald, all them. Uh, but a few, you may be looking at them going, who are these guys? I'm not entirely sure who they are. Um, one of them is Launchpad McQuack, known for his role in Darkwing Duck, obviously, and also DuckTales, because hello, Launchpad McQuack. And also, there is an airplane on the wall, and there's a bear driving it. And many of you know him as Baloo, who first appeared in The Jungle Book, but he was also in the popular TV show Tailspin for a while. And in the show, he had a co-pilot who was named Kit Cloudkicker. And one of these spaceships orbiting around Mickey is also being piloted by Kit Cloudkicker. So pretty cool Disney afternoon stuff that they left there from all those yeah. years ago. And they haven't repainted it. And when I hear Kit Cloudkicker, I really think George Lucas helped name that character. Yeah, probably. Probably. I have no idea why. But it's why. cool that they're like big figures that they still have in the park. I yeah. guess because they're tied to the ceiling and they don't want to take them down. <laughs> take too much until there's a leak. So, probably, um, probably. you know, and speaking of George Lucas, he had absolutely nothing to do with our Year of a Million or So Limited Time Cadets nice weekly work. prize giveaway, except we are recording it in THX. Are we? Yeah, well, the audience is listening, right? Oh, oh, oh. Well, we are they, though? They are. We <laughs> hope they are. That, that's, that's going back a few years, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for those of you who aren't familiar with our weekly giveaway every week for the past almost two years, we've been giving away a prize. And a lucky cadet who has emailed us at communicorweekly at gmail.com, given us the name and address, has won a prize. Yay! And this prize is a copy of the book that I covered on episode 246, last episode, the wonderful The Disney Story by Aaron H. Goldberg. And he's going to be sending out a copy for us. This week's winner is Kelly H. in Somerville, Massachusetts. Hooray! Yay, I hope so you like to read, Kelly. We do, too. We do, too. There are a few photos in there, sort of. Ooh, so it sort like of helps, photos. but Kelly definitely, you know, when you get the book, take a photo with it, put it on one of our social medias, and we will try not to make too much fun of you. Exactly. exactly. It's hard, though. It's hard. So, okay, guys, well, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. However you get the show, whether YouTube, iTunes, podcast app, leave us a comment, leave us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com to say hi, enter the contest, or just for any reason at all. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm at Imaginerding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And don't forget to give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And make sure you visit the Communa store at communicoreweekly.com to pick up some incredible Communicore Weekly t-shirts. And be sure to send away for your official cadet membership card and sticker. Uh, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856. And you can visit patreon.com slash Weekly to find out how you too can support the greatest online show. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Fiber.